If you just communicate, you can get by. But if you communicate skillfully, you can work miracles. Jim Rohn. I need some motivation. motivation. Every day I try a little harder, but my dedication. dedication. Keep my head way, way above the water. Trying myself and I yell at the wall. Begging to run, but I needed to crawl. I see the finish line up ahead. Trying to get traction from all of this tread. I am a Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast that helps you be the leader. I'm Jeremiah Sullivan and I'm your host. And for those of you that are, are new to the show, this is a podcast that is educational. And not only that, but it's useful. What we strive to do is, well, put together the best episodes ever, each and every time. But all jokes aside, what we strive to do is teach lesson, lessons that you can action on leadership hyper and high performance. Okay, and there, we're going to cover areas of success, uh, mindset, team building. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about self-leadership, team leadership. And overall, you know, I really wanted to create this, this show to help new and seasoned leaders rise to their new occasion. Okay. Because both, what I mean is it doesn't, leadership is, um, it's such a, it's a moving target. The moment you think you have it mastered, the moment you think you start to get it figured out, you're you're typically in a new domain and there's all types of new problems, <laughs> okay? So it's a moving target, which means that um, it's di- very difficult to perfect and master. But you know, if we all put our heads together and we share lessons learned, we can get closer and closer to that perfection. So that's what we're here to do is help you out with your individual success, your team success, because we all just, well, what I want is for you to win. So with that being said, as we dive in today, I'm going to say this up front, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you have not shared the podcast recently and uh, you find value in the one that we're delivering today, just do us a solid and share with a friend or hey, even leave a review, just like some small token of appreciation to nudge us and encourage us that we're on the right path and that um, there's listeners out there that are really enjoying the content. Help us spread the message. The reason why I'm asking for that organic growth is because we don't put put uh, money behind the podcast. You know, we don't put run ads on it. And the way that it spreads is if, well, the only way it spreads is if we do a good job. Okay. So again, I don't want you to share it if it's not good. I only want you to share it if it is good. That sounds like a fair trade to me. So um, with, without further ado, um, I am not just here to talk on my microphone and entertain you guys. I am welcomed by the podfather once again. The Mr. Justin Phillips. What's up, dude? You already kind of stole my line in the beginning yeah. of that. So I'm all fucked up now. I don't know. <laughs> What's the line? What's the line? So I don't know what we're going for here. What is, so, well, the well, so the line is that we're going to do the best podcast that we've ever done in the history of podcasts. And um, and that that's another reason that they should share the show. So I'll, I'll make them hold us to that standard, I guess. Um, share the damn show if this is the best podcast episode you've ever heard hell yeah which i think it should be so (laughs) i like that um well said my man well said guys gals uh justin and i have been palling around for quite some time now he's watched he's grown tremendously i've grown tremendously and uh he's he's got an eye for for detail an eye for excellence and um he has some really insightful questions so that's why he's on the show but um what we're going to talk about today you know we put our heads together and um what I've asked my my team to do in Conquer Academy is pay attention to what people are talking about in their circles and around us just in, in general. And I've also been jumping into social media and looking at 
you know, what people are coming to me with DMS and what people are saying, you know, I try to pay attention to what's going on in the environment, you know? And, uh, the thing that's come forward is this, this topic about really, it sounds like communication and leading when you're not, um, with the troops is what it sounds like when you, when you were in a leadership position, there's going to be times where you're going to be right there with the guys. Right. And that's like, man, some of the funnest times when you're right there with the troops, man, really is you go to the range, you get to shoot right next to them, all that type of stuff. And then as you progress through your career, um, sometimes you're distant, you're distant from those, those same people that you love to lead. And in other cases, in the entrepreneurial world, new leaders often absorb family businesses and then are put in a situation where they have to lead leaders and it can be very, very difficult. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, leading kind of from a distance, I think today. And um, before we get into all that, I know, I know Justin and I always like to catch up and talk about either disc golf or jujitsu or fitness or just complain about, we never really don't do much about complaining about politics, but we could do that one day. So anyway, let's get, up, <laughs> yeah, let's get caught up. Let's get caught up and then dive in. Oh man, I don't know what, why don't you get caught up for once? I feel like I've been catching up a lot lately. And honestly, I've just been scrolling through Instagram lately, getting just smoked with jujitsu content. It's the only <laughs> thing I get now. So, okay. So no change basically to your progression right now. You're still working towards what's your goal for the blue belt. Do you want to share it? Do you want to keep it to yourself? I want to figure it out. <laughs> um, I want someone to tell me first. So I don't know, man, I've been, so I've been, uh, just looking around at that, trying to get a feel for how my gym does their thing. Because all the jujitsu gyms kind of have their their way. The the uh, yeah. what do I want to call it? The professors have kind of their way that they do the uh, ranking and whatnot. And some of them can be pretty strict to time standards, and other ones can be less strict and whatnot. So I'm trying to figure that out. Another thing I'm trying to figure out is more so like how soon do I want to start branching out into other martial arts. Cause that's been a big thing is a whole lot of people being like, Oh, you're going to stick around. Like we have judo right after jujitsu where I go. And they're like, why aren't you sticking around for judo? And I'm like, because I can't breathe right now. That's why. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the Muay Thai and all that type of thing too. So I'll let you know. I mean, I think for blue belt, it's really like as soon as I physically can, because sure. I'm like you said last week on the show where I'm just like, I just don't want to be a fucking white belt. <laughs> like, yeah. Being a white belt sucks, man. <laughs> it really does. It just sucks. You're the new guy. You know, it's just like going to any team. You're, being the new right. guy always sucks, but uh, it's also a fun memory. Well, all right. So enjoy yourself along the way. Dabble around with some of those other skills. And, uh, you know, I think you'll, fig you'll figure it out. You'll have a good time and you'll figure out what your goal is going to be. But uh, either way, enjoy the process. On my side, man, what is going on on my side? Just, you know, things are fast and the furious over here in my world. Um, I've spent this whole, for the last six, well, shoot, maybe five months. I've been working on a brand new program for my students and I'm, I'm launching that. I went last two, three days. Now I've been doing, putting in the hours, man, putting in 12, 14, 16 hour days, just working on this stuff nonstop. So I, I'm really excited about putting, pumping that out. And, uh, it, you know, that is actually, it's like something that we can start with and then dive into the leadership stuff. I think that, we've all heard our actions speak louder than words. And I can't tell you how many people I run into in the world that want an extraordinary life. You know, they really do. They don't, <clears throat> they want either financial freedom. They want, uh, you know, these, these luxury type lives, or I find that most people want enough money to take care of themselves for their life. 
and they don't necessarily want to be on the yacht and the jets and stuff like that, but they, that is still an extraordinary life because the ordinary life is mostly people working their job, clocking in, clocking out, trying to save up for retirement, playing this like rat race type thing and not ever really getting ahead, constantly getting stuffed with more and more debt and just trying to fight out of that until they get so old that they're sick and then everybody else around them is taking care of them. So really the bar is pretty low for an extraordinary life. You know what I mean? But, but my point with all that is that, uh, I don't know if it's a culture thing in our country or what, but there's a lot of people out there that believe they can get to that extraordinary level while playing by ordinary rules, you know, and I was working hard on this webinar and I'm, nobody's telling me to do this webinar and do these modules and this program. I'm just driving myself to get this stuff done. And I'm putting in crazy, crazy hours to get the stuff to work out there on top of managing everything else. My point is that I'm not like, I'm not boasting about my myself and my work ethic, but what I'm trying to say is that I had a moment of reflection where I realized that I am on the path to an extraordinary life, right? And I think that's important for everybody to realize that is putting in the work because the people that are, are shooting for an extraordinary life, but they are, as soon as five o'clock hits or whatever it is, whatever hours that they, the traditional hours that they follow, they want to be extraordinary until 5 p.m. hits. And then after that, it's like, ah, I'll be extraordinary tomorrow, man. And I mean, we've all been there before, but you see what I'm saying? It's just the message, I guess, as we're diving in today to kick this thing off is uh, pay attention to your actions, guys, gals. You know, the journey of success and the journey of growth, it, it, you're going to have these cycles and these periods and these chapters in your life where you're not really sure if you're on the right path. But if you just stop and kind of like objectively look at yourself and look at the work that you're putting in, it's a math equation. You're either doing the work or you're not. And if you're, nobody's over your shoulder watching you, driving you to work on the weekend when you don't have to, or get a couple extra hours during the week when you have to, you're probably going the direction that you want to, that you, you know, that's guaranteed to get you some success in life. So just acknowledge that because I deal with a lot of people that are beating themselves up in life and, um, we don't need you doing that. It's just going to slow you down, you know, be, be, you know, rest, sleep easy at night, knowing that you're doing the work. All right. So that's what I want to start this off with Justin. Now we can dive into some damn leadership stuff, bro. Do you think that, um, do you think that it gets more difficult to push yourself to keep working as you actually get into higher and higher leadership positions because you have no one guiding you or less people guiding you? I will say, the strategy. Okay. So I'll talk about this from two sides. One is what I've witnessed. And then the other is what I've experienced. Okay. What I have witnessed is when people get to a certain position, leadership role or a level of success, they do, they cool down and they stop driving themselves to higher levels of success. And then actually what ends up happening is they get pretty miserable. Okay. When humans aren't designed to be stagnant and we're designed to grow and improve and work on stuff and tweak stuff right? In some capacity, whether that's creatively or, or not, but it's, we love progress. Progress equals happiness. Okay. So typically those type of people that settle, they aren't so happy. Now for myself, what I realize is that I'm always finding different ways to demand more of myself. You know, I'm always finding different ways to get more out of myself. And anytime that I've been in a leadership role and I've had more flexibility, more autonomy, 
it became a different game. Like when you were, when I was a junior soldier and was enlisted as a private first class, I was worried. My performance was tied to fear. I'm like, shit, I don't want to get fired. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get demoted. I don't want to do the wrong thing. It was like a lot of times I was just, I was doing so that I didn't get in trouble. Right. <laughs> right. That was driving me. And then as I got older and I got into different leadership roles, the driving factor for me became my reputation. You know, that was the most important thing to me when I was in the service, to be honest, was the reputation I was building. I wanted to be known as the guy that came in first, left last, which didn't always happen, but coming in first happened most of the times. I wanted to be the guy that he was positive no matter what was going on in his life. He just seemed to be even keeled. He seemed to be focused. He seemed to be disciplined. He had his mood in order, his character in check. Now, I was very, very imperfect along the way, but um, you know, self-leadership is really about self-mastery, and that's what I was working towards as I was coming up. So to answer your question, yeah, I think it's very difficult for people to stay uh, focused and stay driven when they get to periods of, of, of superior leadership. In fact, I'm, I'm coaching a handful of people right now that are in that exact position. But it becomes a different game when you get there. You just have, you have to find a new way to internally drive yourself or externally drive yourself. External driving, an external way is our method is to get somebody in your life that's going to hold you accountable, right? Like a coach, like me, working with these guys. I get on a call with them and they want to tell me about all the things that they've gotten done. And they're worried that if they tell me that they didn't do stuff, that I'm, you know, that they're going to be letting me down. So that's external, external motivation, right? So, I mean, yeah, that, does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, that answers the question. Yeah, I, I would say that for somebody that's in that position to dissect what I just said, you either need internal or external drivers to increase your leadership performance. For me, reputation became a, a big factor. I, I fed into what I thought others thought about me. I could have easily cut that out. Be like, I don't care what people think. But I wanted that inside of me. I wanted that thought to cause me to show up and do extra work, right? And then the other thing, I actually just spoke on this last week with the uh, the winner's table. I was telling people that if they want their team to level up, right, that they first thing they have to do is they have to level up themselves as the leader. And then, I, then they asked me, like, how do you level up? How do you do that? And then how do you stay there? How do you get yourself to the next, go from 100% to 120? So what I told them, I said, one strategy, I gave them, I gave them a couple, but one strategy is I said, do a sprint in your life where you show up better show up at a higher level. You show up, maybe you come in 10 minutes early, come in 15 minutes early, leave a little bit 15 minutes later, be more thorough, set a different example for a short period of time and do like a mini sprint. Okay. And when you do that, ideally seven days to two weeks, at first people are going to kind of make fun of you, right? If you're the guy that's always late and you start showing up early, people are going to, people are going to notice like, Oh, look who showed up on time. Right? So if you, what you can do, it, this this affects your psychology, and uh, it's you know what what people think of you is a huge driver for a lot of humans. But what you can do is you do that little mini sprint, and you create a new reputation for a short period of time. So people will talk shit at first, and then they'll be accustomed to it. And after about a week to two weeks of you being the guy that shows up quote unquote early, or whatever it is that you want to increase your performance with, you develop a reputation around that. And now you don't want to let the reputation down. You don't want to let other people down. They expect it of you, and so you hold the line. You hold that. You're more likely to hold that standard than uh, if you're 
if you never do that in the first place. Does that make sense? Mostly. I think I think it would help to dig into a little bit more practical example of what to do, though. I think that's where people struggle is, are we just talking about your job, like show up a little bit earlier and leave a little bit later? Or are we talking about fitness, like go make yourself the type of person that actually goes to the gym every day or actually runs every morning or whatever the case may be? Uh, obviously, it's a case-by-case -case basis, but have you found anything, you work with people all the time on this, that's more practical that people can start doing to level themselves up that way? Yeah. The first thing I would do is you need to look around and observe what issues you see. Like what, so if the, you know, the, the environment is your looking glass. All right. What I mean by that is that what you see in the environment is inside of you. Okay. You're limited by your own personal perspective. You, you have, you have the ability to switch your perspective and think like somebody else, but, but most of the time you are observing the world through your own perspective, which means you see what's inside of you. This is why like when you get triggered in life, somebody says something that they criticize you and you're sensitive about it, it triggers you. It's because they're pointing out something that you see inside of you yourself, right? So <clears throat> my point is, is like, if you want to, you want a practical way to increase your performance, look around and see the problems, the issues that you see. Maybe you, maybe you're looking around and you're saying that people are lazy and people are so lazy, right? You're probably feeling like you're lazy. <laughs> That's probably what's going on. So whatever um, assumptions that you have about the world and the environment, they reveal the issues and the pet peeves that you have with yourself. So this takes some self-awareness. But once you get that, get that information, then you can pick a couple of things to uh, that you're going to improve upon. So if you say people are lazy, you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm being lazy right now. Okay, let me pick it up with my laziness, be more active. And then you create a little mini sprint around that. I'm going to start showing up early. I'm going to be more productive at work. I'm going to, uh, I mean, for me, one of my favorite things to do is I create mini sprints in a day, you know, and even with projects I'll do like, I'll put on a timer or like watch the clock and I'll just say like, ready, set, go. How fat, how much work can I get done in the next 30 minutes? You know, you just can just do little things like that. And if you do them in front of people, uh, again, their perception of you will change and you'll be more likely to maintain that reputation that you've just created. So that's what I would recommend. What's an area, let's do it with you. So what's an area of your life? All right, when you look around the world, <laughs> what's the problem and the pet peeves that you see? Oh my good God, Jeremiah, we don't have that much time. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the biggest one would be for me. And I think it's, I think it's almost like a lack of gratitude. Mm. I'm trying to think of where that's really coming from, but I think... I've been experiencing just a lot more lately of people kind of being down about everything for no real reason. You know, people that are, I mean, for context too, if anyone's new listening, you know, I'm 24, I'm still kind of at that age where I'm just getting into my first-ish real career and a lot of the people around me are like that kind of thing. And it's, it's getting to this point where a lot of people are actually landing like pretty decent jobs and living pretty comfortable lifestyles and getting really comfortable and then being anxious and then being depressed. And it's like, I forget who I was listening to the other day, but I was listening to, uh, it was either like a motivational speech, a podcast, something like that, that was talking about how it's a, it's a luxury to be depressed mm. because people, you know, like the, the single mother that needs to have four jobs just to keep food on the table for her kids type of thing. Like they don't have, you don't have time to be depressed right. when you have real fucking problems to be chasing right. after. Right. 
And and that was something that's something that's been sitting with me for quite a while. It's like most of the people that are getting kind of into a funk, it's usually because you're really comfortable, which I guess goes back into that kind of lack of growth. Yeah, you, know, you were talking about too, and needing to be able to find a way to grow. And hell, for myself, I mean, I went through a funk. That's a big part of the reason I started jujitsu is to kind of take on this white belt mentality again. And as they say, go in and suck at something. And because everything else I'm doing right now, I've kind of just gotten to that point where I'm stagnant. And you know, it's funny. We just basically said why you kind of have you're seeing those the issue of really what you described was people with a bad attitude and yeah. and people being down. But you see that because you're. You That's just me. got, you got through a cycle <laughs> of feeling like that. Yeah. So you see what I mean? Yeah. So the environment is your looking glass. So now if you wanted to improve on this area of your life, if you wanted to, it's kind of a unique example because we're not talking about high performance. We're talking about gratitude and attitude, but it still applies. If you wanted to create a reputation around being more grateful, um, you could just literally run around talking about how grateful you are for things. And people would start seeing you as a grateful person and you're going to start getting that feedback and then you're going to start seeing the world in a more grateful way. Mm-hmm. A little different type not, of not to, mention, not to mention you're going to actually influence some sort of change when you do stuff sure. like that too, right? Yeah. Like you're not, it's it's not just your like reticular activating system where you, you see yourself and, you know, so if you become more grateful, you kind of start to see things through that lens instead, but also other people will be influenced by what you do and more so than what you tell them to do in most situations too. So when you are the guy that shows up early and like gets right to work, like more people start doing that just because you're setting a standard, you know, which we've talked about before. So I guess that's another part of the reason things start to look better when you start to act better is because iron sharpens iron. Yeah, it's very true. And what's, what's happening as well is that, you know, you're talking, we're talking about auto suggestion. So auto suggestion is something that everybody does. They suggest uh, thoughts and words to themselves all the time. You know, your inner dialogue is a form of auto suggestion. And um, if you ever heard that saying, believe it and then you'll see it, right? Or whatever. Like if you believe you're you're going to not, I know it's the other way around, but what I'm saying is it's, it's actually the opposite is true. Right. If you believe it, you're going to see it. Right. And so anyways, what auto suggestion does is it instills you with the beliefs that you want. You impress those through your actions and thoughts into the universe, into the world around you. And it comes back to you. Auto suggestion is a super powerful tool. And what it is, it's a vibration. It's an energy, right? If you say something positive, that gives you a feeling. It's a vibration. And then your body has to do something with that vibration, Okay. If it's a negative vibration, it still does something with that as well. That turns into dis-ease, not being at ease with oneself. But a positive vibration turns into productive action. It puts you at ease. So you can literally change your feeling and change your actions by what you're saying to yourself on a regular basis and produce a result that's congruent with that. So like you said, if I run around talking about how grateful I am, I'm going to feel grateful. That's going to put me into a, an, an attitude of gratitude, as they like to say. And uh, you're going to start interacting with the world like that. So really, really powerful uh, process there for changing your your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. And I think that more, more leaders just need to accept that as a tool. You know, auto-suggestion is a tool. What are you telling yourself? Because it's it's putting you into some type of action, you know? 
And here I was this whole time thinking that auto-suggestion was just that little fucking word like above the keyboard on my phone <laughs> telling me what I want to say next. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Well, so that's a nice little segment there. Um, let's keep going. What? Uh, let's talk about this leader that we were discussing earlier. You mentioned the, ch- the challenge that you and the team is seeing. What is this challenge? What is it? It's communication. It's delegation. Describe it a little bit for me. The it's, it's largely communication. You know, that's been a hot topic now. I don't know. I feel like communication is actually a much wider term than people act like it is. Like it's a big umbrella topic that can be broken down into a bunch of other areas for sure. But, um, what, what we wanted to talk about today was leading, leading other leaders, um, how to communicate, communicate, up, down, across, basically in all different directions of your organization, but how to make sure, I guess that leadership is alive and well in your organization, like resonating properly so that the the guys on the ground are being led well and that you're leading their leaders in a proper way. And also we'll probably get into a little bit of how to avoid that like massive disconnect that can happen at a certain point. That's like a stereotype with a lot of companies from the CEO to the, you know, the guy behind the counter at 7-Eleven or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to fire out of the can and just right off the bat. Yeah. So to summarize is basically what does effective communication look like between, let's say, senior leaders and mid-level leaders? Because that's kind of what we're focused on here. Um, We're not talking about the leader that's in charge of the guy that's right there on the ground. We're talking about the one that's a supervisor or whatnot. And, um, it is related to communication, you know, for sure. And the funny thing about communication is that it, it too is a lot like leadership in which you, it's very difficult to master, <laughs> especially among multiple people. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. I was actually talking to my mom about this a few weeks ago. I was telling her about the leadership uh, trainings that I do, the in-person ones. And uh, my mom had a leadership role when she was a teacher's assistant uh, growing up. And she, you know, she was in charge of like, <clears throat> what, I don't know, the fifth grade and below or something like that, or maybe the third grade, third graders or something like that at the school. Anyway, so she was teaching them a lot about communication as a teacher's assistant. One of the games that she used to play to teach them communication was that they would line up, I forget how exactly she set this up, but it was like, they lined up outside, okay, outside of the classroom, kind of ducks in a row, maybe like arms distance apart or whatever. And then one of the leaders, one person would come inside, she would meet with that leader and she would give them a statement or passage to remember, right? She would say something like, um, I don't know, maybe like the banana in the kitchen was moldy, right? She would say something arbitrary like that, just a statement. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I want you to go tell this to the team, but I want you to tell them at one at a time. Um, or basically pass it down the line. You're going to tell one person, that person is going to tell the person next to him. So every person only tells the statement to one person and it goes all the way down the line. And, and when the last person gets the passage or the phrase, they come back in and they told my mom what was said. And maybe there's like 10 kids out there or something like that. Maybe even less than that actually in the school that I was in, but either way you get the point. So she would say this statement, the leader would go do it and come back in and like the last kid would say a statement that had absolutely nothing to do with, with the banana that the statement was originally about. Right. It would be some like some crazy stuff. I don't even have a hypothetical or an example, but just a <laughs> right. 
we're talking about like cheetahs and or we're talking about Cheetos now. You know, the kid yeah. comes in, he's like, Hey, there's, there's Cheetos in the refrigerator. It's like, what that has, does that have anything to do with bananas in the kitchen? But my, my point is, is that uh, that example, that little example with her at school is exactly how communication works all the time. And yeah. it's difficult to foolproof your communication. All right. Um, the military did a pretty good job of it. They taught me a lot about communication, tons about it. Matter of fact, like my primary weapon as an infantry officer was communication. You know? Yeah. It really was. It was like, I'm in a managerial type role. Um, I'm in charge of briefing the mission order to all my guys, making sure everybody understands it. That was tough for me. I wasn't a natural speaker, you know, growing up. I was very, very shy, introverted, stuttered, stammered. I even still do it to this day a little bit. But through some work, um, I got better and better at it. Anyway, so the thing that the military taught me about communication was a couple of things. They taught me the importance of back briefs. They taught me the importance of redundancy and they taught me the importance of, I don't have a fancy way of saying this, but it was like uh, push pull reconnaissance. Okay. So in short, uh, a back brief is if I, Justin, I tell you, Hey man, we're going to go to uh, Utah. We got a mission, man. We're going to go to Utah. I need you there to do production. I need you to video it. I need you to create some content and uh, it's going to be on the 9th of June until the 12th of June. Okay. I need you to get your own ticket. Uh, the company will pay for the flight out there. We'll reimburse you. I give you all the details, right? And then mm -hmm. after I get done with all that, I say, Justin, what's your understanding of what I just said? And then you recite it back to me. That's a back brief. Okay. The, back, the back brief is a really, really important part of communication because leaders often say way too much. <laughs> And not only that, but, but I think I read a stat that only 30% of what you read and hear you actually retain. Mm -hmm. So when you give the subordinate or the team member a chance to tell you they're back, their understanding, you're, you're confirming and fixing the gaps in the communication, right? So back brief is number one. Number two, um, was redundancy. So we use the military operations order when we were briefing missions in the military, five paragraph order. It's a written format. It goes situation, mission, execution, sustainment, command and control. These are just paragraphs where you group up all your information. But when we relayed the mission, we would use the five paragraph written op board. You would speak it. Okay. So you got a written format in front of you for the readers. You got a spoken format that the leader is going to say for the audio people. And then, You've got visual to back it up. So you would do a PowerPoint slide and kind of go through the visual as well. So you communicate redundantly while giving out the mission. And then on top of that, in, inside of the mission that you're giving the team, you build in redundancy in your message. Okay. Meaning I'm going to, when I get into the execution paragraph for my mission, I'm going to talk about how the mission is going to get done. We're going to be in Utah. This is what it's going to look like. It's going to be a three-day event. I'm going to talk all those details and the timeline and all that stuff. And then at the end of the, um, or another section of the order, I'm actually going to provide a detailed timeline, even though I just said it in a previous paragraph. Okay. So what I'm saying is that you thread in, you need to thread in redundancy into your message to your team. So that really sinks in. Okay. You say the same thing in different kinds of ways, right? Because people are going to miss it the first time. Okay. So back briefs, redundancy. And then the third thing is I called it push pull reconnaissance, but that's like, 
Effective communication, what it looks like is the leader pushing information. There's an exchange of pushing and pulling information is what I should say. Okay. So Justin, if you and I are preparing for a project, if I don't want to micromanage you, what, and we have like effective communication, I give you the project, you go, and you're not waiting for me to ask you questions about the project. Mm. You're pushing the information to me before I'm ready to receive it. Okay. So a lot of times like, and this is a newer, uh, this is a subordinate usually challenge or new leader challenge is like, I knew this for me when I was a brand new leader, I wasn't used to pushing up information to the chain of command. I was used to working, getting the job done and assuming my boss trusted me to get it done. And that doesn't work with all leaders. And it's honestly not effective communication from the subordinate. Really, really effective communication from the subordinate is when they start going and then they start pushing up that information along the way so that me as the leader, if I'm the higher headquarters, I'm not taking time out of my day to reach over and say, Hey man, can you tell me what's going on with the project? Like that, that's a pain in the ass for anybody. Okay. But you need equality here in this exchange. There should be a balance of the leader kind of reaching out and asking, and then the subordinate or the subordinate leader pushing the information and that kind of going back and forth to where there's no questions asked. There's no confusion. And it's just a constant flow and exchange, right? Until one of them is like, Hey man, you're talking to me a little bit too much. Let's back off a little bit and let's talk on Friday. <laughs> right. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. So any of those stand out to you? Those examples? Well, that, that, that last one, I mean, that's what people are afraid of, right? It's they're, they're usually afraid of bothering whoever, you know, I've experienced that in my past jobs. Like, Oh, my manager is busy. He's got better things to do than to worry about this thing, but then I don't really know what to do. So I either guess and I fuck it up more. And then, you know, it's a whole, it's just backlog of backpedaling, you know, from there. So I I know that's relevant to a lot of people. Um, I was also just going to say, I would add almost as like a pre-log to the back briefs. You mentioned leaders have a tendency to talk too much. So would you say there's also an element of as a leader actually basically cutting out the fluff from the mission before you try to communicate it in the first place. Yeah. First thing on the leader side is that they need to be prepared for the meeting that they're going to go into. Yeah. A lot of leaders don't do that. They just react to the meeting. They walk in. That's why meetings, most meetings take twice as long as they should. Most I'm telling you, most meetings should be cut in half. Easy. They should be emails. (laughs) <laughs> or emails. I don't know about so it depends on the leader. It depends on the leader. Like I if you if a person emails me, I've done business with people where they just wanted to do emails all the time. It pissed me the hell off. It pissed me I'm the that, hell off. I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, but I would tell them because I know it's just me. I would be like, hey, can we do a face to face with this uh email that you just sent? I want to talk through the details on it. Like I'm going through a book project right now. The company's great, they're awesome, but uh they made some changes and I'm read I'm basically going through and and republishing the whole man project. And there's some grammatical stuff in there that I want cleaned up and whatnot, but they've been sending me these like word, these, uh, docu signs and all this stuff. And I go through and I read it, but then I'm like, I got questions and I want to talk to somebody. Yeah, right. And I'm like, can you guys just hold Can we do a quick phone call? And then we play phone talk call back and forth. And they just do not, they did not want to get on the damn phone. I'm like, man, this is taking weeks for us just to have a five minute conversation that I just need to ask one thing on. So to the point there is that you do need to understand the leader and the subordinate to the best of your ability. And in fact, when I was at regiment, that's one of the best pieces of advice that I got from one of the senior non-commissioned officers. Okay. He was the command sergeant major and I was getting ready to, he was, I was a platoon leader at the regiment and he was preparing me 
to be a company commander after that assignment was done. And he said, Hey, sir, when you become a company commander, he said, it's really important that not only do you inform everybody what's going on, but you let your guys know what's the best way to communicate with you. He's like, do that on day one. And he was like, it's a big time leader mistake. They don't ever, because the guys will guess until they get it right or they just keep doing it wrong and you're going to get pissed off, right? Like I had one officer, mm -hmm. one leader over me that he loved to block out his schedule so that he had his office time. And he was a put it in my Dropbox kind of guy, right? Like, hey, you want to talk to me? Put it the, uh, give me a, a note, write a note and put it in my Dropbox. And then I'll follow up with you after I get done with like my shit. And that worked for him. But you know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a nuance and a, a technique that one person likes. So that, that point of a new leader's role should be to tell the team how to communicate with them the best. You know, and if you don't, if the le leader's not doing that, then the subordinate leader has to take initiative and do it. So what I always, I got in trouble with this early or as a commander, actually not early, but as a commander, my boss pulled me in. I was in Afghanistan. He was a battalion commander. And he was like, Hey, you and your peer, um, his name is Michael. He's like, you guys are like toe. You guys are like tied with the ranking in the company, in the battalion. And I was probably like three months into the job or something like that. He's like, you guys are both stellar. He's like, you're doing great. Both of you guys are doing good. He's like, but honestly, Mike's beating you right now. And I was like, shit, I don't like being beat. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what's going on, sir? He's like, well, he just communicates more. And I was like, oh, okay. He's, and he's like, you know, I have to, with you, I'm kind of guessing. And I don't know that you're necessarily going to push up information to me um, as it comes to you. And I was like, dang. So he gave me that feedback and I, after that talk, I blew up his phone like every day. I was like, hey, sir, just want you know what's going on. And I ended up doing really, really well with my eval later on. And I learned my lesson. So the point is, is um, it, you know, at some point, if there is confusion between the subordinate leader and the main leader, somebody needs to take initiative and have the conversation about communication. That's the, that's the bottom line. You know what I mean? And I would say over communicating is never uh, right. not the bigger issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, honestly, uh, and for me, just real quick, for me, like you mentioned not, well, not wanting to bother the leader, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I have so much stuff going on that if people go out of their way to bother me, it's a good thing because it's a system that I don't have to track down more information. I can just like, it's coming to me and I can answer it as it goes versus like, oh, put mental energy into following up with people, right? That makes sense. Right. No, that makes sense. You we're just, we're on a podcast mode right now. You might want to be careful saying that you want people to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I'm the one that has to manage the, uh, the email address that's tied to all the shit we do. So, <laughs> so let's talk, let's talk communication styles. Okay. That was really interesting to me. And also largely because we were very different in that regard. Cause I'm the fucking email guy yeah, like sure. all day long. I want everything texted to me or emailed to me um, pretty much. And I don't want to be on the damn phone because well, there's like the generation stereotype, which is, which is true, but it also goes beyond that. So when, when it comes to communication styles, you're saying to, communicate what your communication style is, you know, upfront day one, 
probably both ways, I would say, whether you're the leader or you're the freaking new guy in the company. Like, it's a good way to say, like, hey, I prefer this method of communication. And also explain why. Because I, sitting here listening to you, explain why you'd rather be on the phone with your publisher as opposed to getting all the docu-signs and the emails and whatnot. That already just made me be like, oh, that makes a little bit more sense. than the freaking, like, people that call me all day long, you know, like... <laughs> Like I, I get so many of those, like I send someone a simple, like yes or no question over an email and then they, they call me to like talk about it. And I'm like, just say yes, bro, you know, or stuff like that. But I've also, I, so I've thought in the other direction too, because I get a lot of that. I like the emailing and people are just like, oh, he's like th that generation that just hates being on the phone, which I am, but I like having everything in writing. And I yeah. pe think people skip over that, like that part of why I like everything that way. And the real reason that I like everything in writing is because people freaking say stuff on the phone and then they don't remember what they said sure. and then they get mad about it later. So well, remember the second, you know, you call it the solvent rule for effective communication if you want, but remember what yeah. I said, redundancy, redundancy. Yeah. redundancy. So you want to follow up your, your shot essentially. So in the military, you don't, you don't really ever shoot one, just one round right from your m4 you don't want to like you can but like two rounds following up of, of your first round with a second round is way more effective okay so in e what i was taught in the military from leaders was that every email you have to call afterwards <laughs> you have to follow up afterwards now there i think that you have a really strong point with making conversations concise and brief and not a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need to sit on the phone because there's a lot of people out there that are, they'll just soak up all of your time by chatting <laughs> your ear off, right? Like, hey man, this is a two second conversation. And you want to go for 20 minutes? Like, come on. So there has to be that balance there. And usually I set the boundary as soon as I get on the call with somebody. Hey man, I want to have just a two minute conversation. If, if, if this has to go any longer than that, we can just set up a meeting. But the main thing that I want to hit on was just this. Do you have two minutes? Yeah, let's do it. And then boom, boom, boom. And then I keep track personally of the time. I make sure I don't go over the two minutes. Um, I'm not perfect at that, but I really strive to be. And I try to respect that boundary. So I think that establishing the boundary when the person calls you is very, very important because it plants a seed in their head that they have to get to the point and then get off. And it also helps continue to build the relationship because if somebody wants to talk to you and they feel like they can only get through through email they feel emotionally disconnected from you, right? Which you don't really want. You want to feel emotionally close to people and build strong relationships to build strong teams. Um, there's actually this guy, I'll have to get his information, but he's he wrote this book about how he built a, I believe it was a, a mid eight figure business through just relationship building. He's like how relationships were, the, the way that he scaled and grew his company was by who he knew. Mm -hmm. And he basically goes on in the book and talks about how relationships are a currency and how you need to make deposits into people all the time to get where you want to go. And people are like a bank account. You know, you got to put money into it and you do that over and over and over again. Eventually you can make a withdrawal. So the whole book yeah. is on that premise. But the point being is um, those phone calls can be investments as well. Relationship building. Let's, I wanted to pivot into that a little bit too, because when we're talking about working you know, senior management to mid-level management, you know, essentially you find a lot that mid-level management and even senior management in some cases is 
and I think this is stupid, but it's usually comprised of people that have experience from all different other similar areas, but different areas. And then you throw them together in a room and you see a lot of like, well, I came from, you know, company A and we did things this way. I came from company B and we did things this way, you know, all the way down to Z. And a lot of stuff can just get lost in translation in the middle management area there because yeah. you've got a bunch of guys that know what they're talking about, but they don't know what each other are talking about in a weird yeah. sort of way. So how do you handle that situation, especially if you're kind of looking down on all those mid-level managers yeah. that you hired from everywhere else? <laughs> yeah, so if I, yeah, well, I can relate to that example a ton of having a, a, bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of players from different teams all together, and none of them can really communicate, understand each other because you know, I, I like when I got into the special operations community, I had been in the military for quite some time. You know, I think I had been in for, uh, if I remember right, about uh, eight years or something like that by the, by the time I got to the first special operations unit, right, to the Ranger Regiment. And here I am with almost a decade of military experience under my belt. And I go into, I go overseas and I deploy with the Rangers and they're all talking to each other. And I have no freaking clue what any of them are saying because they're using special operations lingo. And they're working with NATO and they're working with all these other partner forces. And so I'm over there just like, what in the hell are you guys saying? <laughs> it creates a lot of confusion. Right. The thing that I'll say, if you're a leader in charge of that type of situation, like I'll call it a task force, right? That's what you're talking about. Task force is a hodgepodge of different yeah. uh, type of operators and stuff. And you want to bridge and bring those people together. There's two things that really resolve uh, or strengthen teams. And that's hard times and humor. Okay. As simple as that sounds, hard times and humor bond teams. If you think about the people in your life that you're the most connected to, okay, you have the strongest team within. It's hard. You went through something hard with them and or something very, very fun that you had a lot of good, you have a really good time doing. So hard times and humor bond people and teams. And within hard times and humor, communication gets flushed out. You learn how to communicate to somebody when you bond through hard times and humor. Okay. Oh, okay. You start. Okay. So I'll give you an example. And I was in, I was 20 years old and I was in Iraq for 15 months and I was in the desert. One of the things that we used to do, we didn't have weekends off and stuff like that. We would, but we would have sports PT and we would get out there on the field and we play ultimate Frisbee and we'd be out there and we would be beefing with each other nonstop, right? Throughout uh, the rest of the deployment outside of ultimate Frisbee. When we got on the court, we got on the field. I mean, we started playing and all that baggage that we were carrying around, all the, the things that we were thinking about other people on the team, all that kind of started surfacing, you know, the people you had a problem with, you started really having a problem with them and getting in their face a little bit. The people that you really bonded with, you, you bonded with them even further out there. And then through that, it, it almost, it caused this like, almost like an, like an aggregate, like it caused this stirring of people and emotions and language. And through that issues got resolved. You know, I remember I had a guy out there that I wasn't doing so well with me and him were beefing all the time. And I would like, I, he would be going to catch the Frisbee and I'd run down and intentionally like foul him to like, make sure he didn't catch the Frisbee. And then he got in my face Next thing you know, me and him, we end up smashing the beef. We smash the problem. And the next thing you know, the next game, we're playing well with each other. We have a mutual, we have respect. So 
I'm not saying that you need to um, take your team and 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 get them to fight each other on the, on the frisbee court. But what I'm saying is that if I you, like the idea, I'm not yeah, gonna lie. Yeah, put, a, you, put up a put up a ring in the office, and we'll we'll get out a lot of these problems. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's what my parents did when we were kids. All right, they, my my parents, what they used to do when me and my brother, because I got three brothers, and uh, I've always I had to lead them as a kid. And we're all close in age, especially my, me and my brother, Jarrett, we're a year and a half apart or something like that. And uh, anyways, when we get at it with each other, be slugging each other in the face, right? My mom would walk in, my dad would walk in, and they would tell us to take it outside and finish it. Okay, that would be one thing. Or the other thing that they would do is they would tell us to go uh, into the bedroom. Like, you guys can't come out of the bedroom until um, you apologize to each other or something like that. And not only that, what was the other one that they did? They did, uh, they made us hug each other. <laughs> they said, you guys can't come out of the bedroom until you hug each other. And we would just be sitting there just staring, just mugging each other in the face. Like, I'm not hugging you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I ain't hugging you. I'm not bro. And I, and then I would be in the one in the room telling my younger brother, he's super stubborn. He was, was a kid. We both are, but I would be the one trying to persuade him to put on an act to let, to convince my parents that we hugged and we're good. And he would be like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not even going to fake it. And I'm just like, what the you know what I mean? <laughs> um, point, point being is if you, you know, hard times and humor bond teams, they really, really do. And it can, it's a great way to flush out communication issues that the team may or may not be having. What, so how do I, how do I stir that up? How do I put my team through hard times and humor, especially if you're talking about something like a work environment where you're kind of just, you know, pushing paper all day or pushing dirt or whatever it is that you're doing, yeah. you know, and I don't want, that to really come outside the walls too much and interfere with my family time or my hobbies or whatever. Yeah. How do I stir up those hard times? I would, you could do, you need to focus on where you can create them, where, where the opportunity is. There might be an opportunity to do it at work. It's inconvenient to do it after work, but if you can convince everybody to go out and do it after work, it's very, very effective. You know, there's nothing wrong, like a great way. So investing into relationships is like it sounds. You invest, you do something out of the way and put something in to the relationships that you want to get something from. So if you're trying to invest into a relationship at work, is it really the best investment? It's not, it, it is an investment, but it's not the best investment that you can make, right? It holds a different type of weight. You know, whether I talk to a friend at work or whether I call him on the weekends to see how he's doing are two different types of investments. Mm -hmm. So it just really, this is a question of how much return do you want to get on the investment itself? Okay. Now, if you want to just stack up, you know, your time and you want to kind of like bring some fun and some humor into work, there's all types of little small things that you can do. Lunchtime is a great way to bring people together. Major Steele used to do that. He had a rule like every Wednesday we would meet with him and go to breakfast and he would just sit there. He'd talk a little bit about politics, kind of see what we were thinking. He'd hear about what's going on in our personal and professional lives. We'd tell some jokes. He made it really lax. And even on deployments, we would do that. The rule was like, cause when you're in a deployment, you're literally sleep, eating and breathing your job, right? It's like, you don't, you can't get away from it. You're not going to go and like wear civilian clothes, uh, you know, throughout the middle of the day, you're going to be in uniform all day, 24 seven. That's it. And it, honestly, it doesn't sound like much, but it's exhausting. So work is everywhere. It's omnipresent and uh, mentally taxing. So the one way that we did to break that up was to go to, we went to meals and we said, Hey, no talking about work at meals. Hmm. And it was like hard because it was what we were living 
and we had to find a new way to talk to each other and get along. So um, to your point is how do I bring hard times and humor into work? You need to find the opportunity that you can control and where you can bring it in. Maybe it is work, maybe it's outside of work. And then I, I'm a big believer of you know, physical training for hard times. If you can take people through workouts together, team workouts, that's awesome. Go do a CrossFit workout, go do um, a go ruck challenge, like just find things like that and get people to rally behind it and create some type of incentive for them to go. Like maybe you do a raffle on top of it. Hey guys, we're going to go do a workout. Plus everybody bring 10 bucks and the person that uh, wins this workout or whatever, they get all the money, right? It'd be some, I don't know. You could create some type of creative thing like that. Or um, the humor part would be just doing things at work that lighten the environment, like playing some, some type of game or, uh, you know, it could be, I'm trying to think of an example of something that we did. Honestly, this isn't a big one, but like playing chess during lunch at work. Right. Let's eat and play some food. Like play with play a game of chess. Play some food. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> eat and play chess. Like, you know what I mean? But there's like, you know, heart. So hard times humor, like telling jokes, just shooting the breeze. That's that sort of stuff really can bring people together. So I don't know. That can get you started. I mean, if I wanted to, like, if somebody really needed help with this, then like call me in, tell me what you have going on, and I'll lay out a plan for you. <laughs> but yeah. just think about, just think about what are the things that I would like to do at work that could be fun. And, you know, we got AI now. You could type in some ideas inside of AI and, or some questions in AI and see what it comes up with. But hard times and humor, those are your two options to strengthen the team at your work and in your personal life. I like it. Yeah. Humor is one of my core values. That's good. Do you know that? I didn't, and, I didn't know that, but I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I kind of made that decision not too long ago because I realized, I realized how important it is. I think really for that reason, you know, when it comes to even meeting new people or stuff like, like one of the things that drives me nuts going back to jujitsu again, yet, yet again, but I hate training with someone that has no fucking sense of humor. Yeah. Same. It's like, it's the worst thing yeah. ever. So I'm trying to like, you know, self degrade and in a funny way and they're just like no you're gonna get it i'm like i know i'm gonna get it just let me be funny damn it you could do like you could do like best dad jokes everybody come to <laughs> with their best dad joke next week and let's see who comes up with one or you do so uh the best pg-13 meme uh you know bring it into work um we did one we did memes one time through email it was like sending out uh but you gotta be careful with that kind of stuff yeah, well, yeah. I think uh, we're running a little short on time here, but I think the the only problem I have with that is how a lot of places do that and it feels very forced and no one wants to actually participate. Yeah, it's true. You too. know, yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't know how to get around that part of it. Uh, just take the initiative and find a way to put a spin on it that makes it fun. You know, yeah, um, I guess that's it, fair. If it is kind of cheesy and lame. Be like, all right, hey, sir. You know, this, this, <laughs> this meme game that we're playing is super lame, but I decided to do this to make it better. Right. And I don't know. You can do yeah. something like that, but um, right. good. No, it was good to chat today. Good episode. Talked a lot about communication, talked a lot about, uh, you know, bonding teams and uh, what effective communication looks like. I, I think this was just super valuable, man. It was a good one today. You got anything? I agree. To close up? It's the best episode we've ever done. Hell yeah, it was right on. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to, we're going to close off. Um, I, I have a very, very exciting project I'm about to dive into next. And today was packed with value. Really was. I think it's definitely worth listening to. Again, I'm not going to challenge you to listen to it every single day for the next 30 days, but I will challenge you to implement something from this episode. Figure out a way that you can be a better communicator inside of your team, whether that's you're married and it's with your spouse or whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, or whether it's your coworkers, 
Uh, but remember, hard times and humor is a great way to bond teams and effective communication really does come down to back briefs, redundancy, and this concept of push-pull and reconnaissance, pushing information and pulling it at the same time. Okay, guys, so those are the key lessons from today. Appreciate you all. And if you found value, share it with a friend. Till next time, be the leader. I need some motivation. Motivation. Every day I try a little harder, but my dedication. dedication. Keep my head way, way above the water. Crying myself when I yell at the wall. Begging to run, but I needed to crawl. I see the finish line up ahead. Trying to get traction from all of this tread. I am a king. I am a queen. I am more than the people can see. I am strong when I'm needing to be. Vulnerability's nothing to me. You can try, but I'm unshakable. My successes is never debatable. I'm chameleon. I'm so interchangeable. Here's to you and all that you are capable. You gotta go hard, better get it. You